Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Celtic Stuff Live. The only toll-free call-in webcast. Produced specifically for Celtics fans. Celtic Stuff Live. All right, Celtic Stuff Live, everybody. Last week was absolute doomsday. At least it was from this guy. I don't know, John. Maybe you were a little more optimistic. The Celtics were on a four-game skid. Dre Crowder was out. We didn't know what they were going to do, how we were going to address the loss. And now here we are a week later, and they're riding a four-game win streak. I guess it's never as bad as you think. It's never as good as you think. Uh, but last week, I definitely thought it was bad. I thought they might fall all the way down, even possibly to seven, but definitely six. But now we find ourselves there one game back in the win column from Atlanta for that third seed. Things have sort of stabilized. We're obviously going to talk about Dallas because it'll depend. We're recording this Sunday night on Easter, and I don't know what the outcome of the game yet is against Sacramento, but halfway through the second quarter, Dallas was down 15 points, and they've already fallen out of the playoffs at this point. They're in the ninth seed out west. Could be a really good thing for the Celtics. Two lottery picks would certainly be uh, a big, big bonus, wouldn't it, John? It would. It would, absolutely. It's And, and it's... You know, it's kind of an interesting race there at the at the bottom of the of the playoff standings there, because it's not you know you got Dallas has got to lose, but you need Utah to do well, you need Houston to do well, um, and so like you said, I mean right now it's we don't know where that game those games stand this evening, but Houston's neck and neck with Indiana, and Dallas is down by twenty four to, to Sacramento of all teams uh, in the third quarter, so. You know, we're. I think we're in a good, good spot right now. The the standings as they sit today look really good for us. I mean, Dallas is two and eight. It's last ten. Uh, Houston's five and five. Utah is seven and three. If those trend lines continue to hold as they are, like you said, and like we were talking about a couple weeks ago, um, this is this is well positioned for us to be. It's not going to be a top ten. You know, there's really no way we that the that. I should say the Celtics, but really the Mavericks would be bad enough uh, to get us into the top ten. But hey, you get an eleven, twelve, you get you're going to pick in that range and a top five, maybe even higher pick. That ain't bad. That ain't bad. Not to it's, mention it's Jay really good, especially <laughs> if you're willing to trade it for a guy like Blake Griffin, who is going to he's he's been cleared to come back. He's going to serve his four game suspension. We're going to get a chance to see him in the postseason. I'm still convinced that he was the uh, the most realistic trade 
at the deadline that didn't happen that also really wasn't reported and only rumored but a couple of other big things that happened this week that we're going to talk about either with Jimmy Toscano or between you and I after the interview but Jimmy Toscano from Comcast Sports New England joining us as well as he's been on CLNS Radio's Garden Report with Jared Weiss he's a regular feature does great work also came up through the Celtics blog ranks a lot of good writers and a lot of people like ourselves got opportunities in, in networking and working with Celtics blog and and obviously us after we shut down our blog airing exclusively on Celtics blog before now coming back and, and being on the on the CLNS radio uh, tip but Bob Ryan slamming Marcus Ugh. Smart on Twitter major major discussion so I know we're gonna get into that and then the other one obviously LeBron James intimating or stirring it up or i don't know acting like a fool about maybe turning his back on cleveland again and if if any one of those things was isolated no big deal but because they're a package and because lebron is just nuts enough and he's done it before this is a little scary yeah well lebron (laughs) the maturity i mean the guy's almost he's 31 he's gonna be you know he's gonna be 32 here uh, you know, at the end of, you know, at the end of this year, the end of 16, he's going to be 32 years old and he's still acting like this. We got Dwight Howard, who's putting stick on his hands. Um, seemingly sent some rumors, some feelings are out that he wants to go back to Orlando. I mean, this is, you're talking about the entitled uh, AAU superstar. This is what happens when that entitled AAU superstar turns 30, 32, 31, 33 years old. They don't grow up. These guys haven't grown up. So that's that's you know on that end of it. On the other hand of it, and, and I love, I'm glad we had Jimmy on this week. Jimmy and I had a little bit of back and forth on on the Marcus Smart stuff, and I, I'm gonna we're gonna I can't wait to hear what he's got to say here uh, tonight. But you know, Marcus is 22 years old. There's a lot of years left for him to figure some things out. There have been some guys who did make immature decisions and, and grew out of those. Um, there's a lot of time here left for, for Marcus to make those strides that, that Bob Ryan uh, and Jimmy were, were hoping he'd made by now. He hasn't. I'm not giving up hope. So. Well, he had a, he had a big play. A big, big play in the Phoenix game, and I'm not. I'm. I'm totally in your camp. Uh, watching the back and forth, forth on Marcus Smart. I mean, again, uh, he is not coming alive. Like Devin Booker was such a an interesting comparison because they were about to play Phoenix when this debate was getting fat. And at the same time, you have to take your hat off to Devin Booker, but you really can't expect that from players. And I think one of the biggest arguments in Marcus Smart's favor is the things that he did well in college, he's continued to do well in the pros and in the half court and his timing in the in 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 half court sets is definitely improving. And the hustle plays are always there. I think the knock on him is the Kendrick Perkins downside. And I do think he's going to grow out of that. And I do think that the refs are going to eventually respect him. But he's got to, you know, he's he's treading on uneven ground. But I think all these young guys wind up getting the benefit of the doubt if they continue to improve. It, and his play on the court speaks for itself. So we'll talk about that a little bit more after the interview as well. The other thing I think we have to dive into is we're in the midst of this West Coast trip. Obviously, they played Phoenix. But the next three games get really tough. And they're going to be crucial. 
And I didn't think we had a chance in hell against Toronto. I know we talked last week and we said, what's it going to be like? You know, we were looking to these five, uh, two games against Toronto in five nights. Then all of a sudden, Jay Crowder's not there. And we got robbed of our ability to really take stock of how much noise the Celtics might be able to make in the playoffs. Because when they played Toronto the first two times, not nearly as good of a team as they are in the second half of the season. So we'd still get robbed because Kyle Lowry doesn't play in really an incredible defensive effort by the Celtics. But I got to ask a question, would Kyle Lowry have completely changed the face of that game? And I say he does, and I don't get my hopes too high from that win. I'm glad we had it, but Toronto had no tiebreakers to worry about. They're coming down towards the end of the season. Why would you risk it with Kyle Lowry? And I don't think we learned a damn thing about how the Celtics will fare against Toronto in the postseason, for me, it's still a 100% wild card. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, look, there, there are six games ahead. I think there were seven at the time of the game uh, on Friday or, or earlier in the week. I, I can't believe that, that that's, that's a litmus test anybody can go by. I love the fact that Celtics beat them, maybe put a little bit of doubt in their mind, but you know those guys in Toronto. They'd taken every game from them handily to this point in the season. You take your best player, put them on the shelf, and the Celtics win at home. Well, they should do that. They should win those games. So, you know, hey, let's hit the reset button. Toronto hasn't we all know the the the, the failings of the Toronto Raptors. Let's let let's put those aside. We'll put those away for Mar- for May, I should say. And the Celtics need to focus on they need to be talking about Miami. They need to be talking about Charlotte who's hot. Um won seven, you know, seven out of their last 10. Uh, they need to talk about Indiana. Um those are the teams they need to be focused on. Atlanta, for that matter, eight and two in the last ten. Those are the teams you got to be looking at, and we got to not worry about Toronto. They're going to get through that first round matchup, which is, I think, it's going to be as much of a challenge. I, I think more of a challenge, perhaps, than we even realized. Not even adding Miami to that mix. Well, I know we've been scared of them being in the four or five bracket because they might end up playing Cleveland. And then all of a sudden, all this crap's going on with Cleveland, and they're getting some losses posted on the board. I mean, there's a shot. There's actually a legit chance that Cleveland might fall into the number two seed, and then the four or five is the place you want to be. But I think it's all fool's gold. I think everything that we thought two weeks ago about positioning the playoffs and where what bracket you want to be in and how you get the farthest in the Eastern Conference is exactly what it is. I think everything else at this point is some people, some teams don't have as much to lose, and they can rest up, and that's what they're going to do. And I think that this West Coast trip for the Celtics, trying to get into that third seed, is really going to be key. And Jay Crowder is still going to be missing some time. So I know we're going to get to the interview now with Jimmy Toscano, but then when we come back, I know you and I are going to dive into a number of these these things, and, and especially the Marcus Smart, because I love it when you get fired up, John. You got it. All right, on to the interview. Jimmy Toscano joining us now, Comcast Sportsnet, New England. Jimmy, I know, I think the last time that John and I were doing this, uh, you were still with Celtics blog, just kind of getting your start, and, and now you're with Comcast, you're with the big boys, and you're covering the Patriots and the Celtics. So, you know, maybe catch me up to speed. What's been going on since, uh, since we kind of <laughs> had a little bit of our, our hiatus? I know. Well, the thing is, you guys, I call you guys like the OGs, you and John, because you guys were doing, you guys were doing podcasts basically before podcasts were even a thing. I mean, you guys had, you know, the Celtics talk, you know, the Celtics radio show going, going strong for a while. So I remember, I do remember listening to you guys way back when, 
yeah, I was in college and I I had just met I hadn't I didn't haven't even met Jeff Clark yet in person, but I emailed him one day and I was like, hey, uh, I'm cover the Bruins, but I'd love to cover the Celtics if you want to like help me out and you know maybe uh, I'll start writing for you guys and we'll take it from there. So you know, one thing led to another and I you know I you know it's it's all about who you know more than what you know. I think I'm like exhibit A for that because I sure as heck don't know a lot, but I think I know the right people and I. I got into Comcast and, you know, I'm, I'm liking it over there a lot and I'm learning a lot still. And I'm, I'm definitely learning a lot about the Celtics as we go here. Yeah. You know, I think you mentioned Celtics blog and Jeff has really had a hand, in, I think in a number of people getting numerous opportunities. And I know if it weren't for him and Eric Weiss, I never would have been in that locker room to be right. able to cover the Celtics that year or those years. And it definitely helped that they went on a, you know, what was it, a 28-game losing streak the first season I covered the team. <laughs> but uh, obviously they Nobody collected. was banging down the doors. Nobody was banging down the doors. It was pretty empty. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I remember media day when Ray Allen and, and Kevin Garnett got introduced, and that place was off the hook. Oh, God. I, I, I wasn't I – was I was a little bit before my – I think it was a year before me or two years before me. But, I mean, even after that, when they were on, still on the team, I mean, that place was a nuthouse. So I can only imagine what it was like the very first, you know, introduction, I can, I mean, those guys really did change, you know, maybe not so much me and you, how we felt about the teams back then, but I think a lot of, they converted a lot of just sort of casual basketball fans. I really do think they converted, you know, some of those fans and their kids to, you know, big Celtics fans, because even last season and the year before that, when the Celtics weren't playing as well, they were still, they were still filling up the, the garden. And I can remember before the KG era, um, I'd go to the garden and, you know, you could pretty much take your, take your pick where you wanted to sit. Oh yeah, easily. And the tickets were definitely, oh, man, yeah. but, but you know, what's funny is this squad now, and I've been picked on not only by our buddy Skip Sosa, uh, or Skit Scott Souza, as you know him, yeah. but, uh, so Scott, but also when I was at, uh, at the game a few weeks ago, Peter Stringer, I uh, took a shot too. Oh, and yeah. said, oh, we must be good again because all you guys are coming out of the woodwork, including me. <laughs> and and you know, in some respects, it is it is true. There is something about this team, except in the in the past year, in the years that you and I were just talking about, it was players coming in. You know, players that were going to join up with Paul Pierce and really give them a shot at the championship after a horrendous season. But mm-hmm. what we've seen since then is that turnover. But Brad Stevens is really the draw. Yes, the players are a definite draw, and we're going to get into a number of them, and especially now sure. that, that Crowder's missed some games. But but I really think Brad is, is the star. Everybody's talked about that. Uh, I have to get your take, though. It's still going to take a star player to put them over the top, is it not? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, your coach can, your coach can only take you so far. You know, at some point – the players have to go out and, you know, execute and, you know, they have to have those guys that can hit the big shot in the big moment. Now I will say this, you know, Brad Stevens is, he has, you know, when, when, when the Celtics go into a timeout late in the game, it's almost appointment television to get to a TV and see what Brad Stevens draws up for these, for these guys. And he is making a lot out of what he has. I mean, when you went, when we went into the season, we all said, well, they're not very top heavy, but they've got a lot of depth. They've got a lot of players with similar skills. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how he gets those players to accept their roles, you know, maybe thinking in the back of their mind that, okay, well, I'm seventh or eighth in the depth chart right now, but the guy who's fourth isn't really that much better than me. Well, I haven't seen, and I've been following the team all year, I haven't seen anything that's made me feel like there's 
any sort of animosity between any. They all seem to really get along with each other. They they accept their roles, and they're really thriving in their roles. And I but I but I do agree with you. It's only going to get them so far, and I think that it's it's great to see them playing so well this season. And there have been games where they're where they look like one of the better teams in the NBA, and then there have been games where you think, okay, yeah, they, they're still missing a piece or two. So when we go into this off season, you know, it's going to be all eyes on Danny Ainge on seeing what he can do with, you know, whether it's flipping draft picks or packaging a few of the, you know, their better players and seeing what he can get in return because they do need that, you know, that main guy. Isaiah Thomas has been, you know, exceptional. He's, he's been playing above every, what everybody expected of him, but he needs, you know, he needs help. He needs, I think he needs one more at least, you know, really star guy to get the job done. So one of the themes with this team is the fact that they really – you know, don't have that star player. And the right. one that really qualifies is Isaiah Thomas. He's getting more respect every week. But they yeah. look for players with a chip on their shoulder. And we'll have to obviously get to, you know, Bob Ryan's comments on Marcus Smart in, in talking about players with chips on their shoulders. But when we talk about that, I really think that that's the next step for Brad Stevens. That's the true test. I mean, obviously a championship is always the way – that you're ultimately going to rate a coach. I mean, if Brad Stevens has got a long career ahead of him being very young, and he could definitely put on a number of championships, and, and that would establish you know, his place, I suppose, in the coaching ranks. But he's already being compared with guys like Popovich. The one thing he doesn't have, and let's, let's be honest about this, when you talk about the players all buying in, it's almost like he is coaching a college team. Um, the only thing that's different is the college players are trying to get their paycheck, a lot of these guys have at least gotten, you know, an NBA paycheck. Maybe Evan Turner hasn't made as much money as he wanted to. Maybe he hasn't gotten the contract that he was thinking he was going to get when he was drafted second overall. But these guys mm-hmm. still have that chip on their shoulder. They want to prove themselves. And I just, I, th- I think that that's really the big next step. When that superstar comes in, will the chemistry on this team wind up vaulting them forward? Or will Brad Stevens you know, still struggle a little bit with that because that's really the only question mark for me at this point as far as his strategy, his ability to coach a team, you know, after timeouts, all the stuff that we've seen statistics-wise and just performance and what he's gotten out of this crew that's basically only one win back in the, I mean, yeah, one one game back in the win column from the third seed after struggling for quite a while. That I mean, don't you agree that's really the only big concern with him? Otherwise, you want him here for the next 25 years. Yeah, you mean in terms of getting a star player? And being able to manage all the things that like, come with somebody who's already proven themselves and gotten their paycheck. Right, yeah, that is, I will definitely agree with you with that. That's one thing that, you know, when you take a look at the Celtics roster, they do have a lot of guys that are still trying to prove something, whether it's Isaiah Thomas trying to prove that, you know, he can play at five foot nine on a good day. You know what I mean? He, he can play with the best, whether it's Jake Crowder last year, you know, trying to prove that he's an NBA player because let's be real, when before he even came to the Celtics, he he was he was an end of rotation, you know, player on the Mavericks that you know was wasn't set to make a whole lot of money in free agency. He came to Boston and and now he's making you know now he signed that big deal. He's going to be making thirty five million. And Evan Turner is another guy. He came to Boston. Um, you know, uh, you know, most people or a lot of people considered him a bust. You know, with the way things ended for him in Indiana, and now he's going to be making you know, a lot of money, you know, after this offseason coming up, whether it's with the Celtics or whatever. So there are definitely players, it's definitely a roster full of players that are trying to prove something and are willing 
I think that's the most important thing is they're willing to be coached by Brad Stevens. They don't, they don't think that they know more than him. You know, they look at Brad Stevens as somebody who can help them succeed and help them play above maybe what a lot of people feel their capabilities are. Now, if somebody like, uh, I don't know, Kevin Durant, let's just throw his name out there. If Kevin Durant came to the Celtics, that's a whole new dynamic because you have the go-to guy. Now, Kevin Durant's, I mean, sorry, not Durant. Kevin Durant's the type of personality that you, you would think that he would accept, um, you know, the type of coaching that Brad Stevens would offer. Now, if it's like a Carmelo Anthony or somebody, I have no idea how that would, how that would work. I don't know if somebody like Carmelo or one of Boogie these really, Cousins. Absolutely. Right. Oh, okay, Bogey Cousins. One of these guys that, you know, they, they, they are obviously, they're proven. They, they, you know, Bogey Cousins plays with a chip on his shoulder in a sense, but not in the sense that he's trying to prove anything. I think, I think he's just always in a bad mood, it feels like, out there on the court. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's like, it's like, I don't know, somebody's just like, it's like, it's like he walks on the court, somebody's just harping on him, like, his mom just got off the phone with him, just like nagging at him for some reason, and so now he's just thinking about that on the court. But the happiest I saw him was when Isaiah Thomas's boy ran up to him after the the game in the Sacramento <laughs> yeah. was in Boston. That was hilarious. I was like, wait, was he, he seems like a fun guy. It's not what it looks like on the court or what everybody says about him. Exactly. Yeah, he looks. He, he actually smiled. I was like, whoa, this dude can smile. Okay, that's like it's like when Kendrick Perkins smiles. It's like, whoa, I don't I don't even know if this is the same guy when he's smiling. But it's totally Rasheed <laughs> Wallace, isn't it? Like all over again. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 she was like one of the craziest characters I've ever come across. But I think you're right, though. It's it's the one thing that we don't know yet. But I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that he could that Brad Stevens could handle it. But it's the one thing we don't know is how he would handle you know a superstar type player because even at Butler, you know, he did have Gordon Hayward and he had a couple of guys that have made their way in the NBA, but they weren't seen as you know these superstar and the uh, you know surefire NBA players. Yeah, no, I think you're right. All right, so let's let's talk about Dallas a little bit because you threw out Crowder and him coming on over to the team, and and it's really interesting because you see all these articles about Danny and how he's nobody's going to want to trade with him anymore because he's fleeced all these teams. Maybe <laughs> we didn't think that so much the way that Dallas, you know, they they kind of started a little slow to the season, then they picked up again and things were looking pretty good. And now all of a sudden, uh, they're they're. Uh, I know they have got a game. We're recording this Sunday night on Easter, but I know they have a game tonight. But they just fell into ninth in the Western Conference, which is yeah. great because the Celtics have their pick. But they also have Jay Crowder, and I know we're going to have to segue to Evan Turner on this too. But it's really amazing when you look at Dallas might not make the playoffs out west, and the west the west is strong at the top, but it's not deep this year. Don't you think? I mean, at some point, it seems sort of like just media talk about this whole nobody wants to trade with Danny, but it seems like everything he touches turns to gold that way. That was something. That trade was really something else because, I mean, if you talk to, if you go back to, go back in the archives and it was the Celtics trader Rajon Rondo for a first round pick. You know what I mean? It had nothing to do with the guys they got. It was like, oh, they got Jameer Nelson. Okay. And, and, and uh, Brandon, uh, I'm blanking on uh, who is Brandon Wright. Yeah, yeah, Brandon Wright. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, and and that's how that's how much of an effect he had on the Celtics. I mean, that they just couldn't get rid of him fast enough. Jay Crowder was sort of the forgotten guy in that trade. And sure enough, I can remember it perfectly. I remember watching the game. I forget who it was against, but Jeff Green was just like just slouching through the game. It was just like he he couldn't care less to be playing at this point. And and then Jake, they put Jay Crowder in the game. 
And I was just like, wow, who is this Jay Crowder guy? Like, let, keep Jay Crowder in the game. I don't want to see Jeff Green back in the game because Jay Crowder is actually playing, you know, 110% out there. He's playing like he wants to be out there. And he's actually has an effect on both sides of the basketball, on both ends of the court. And, he, and, he, and he's only been getting better since. So I, I really do think that – I don't know if Ainge saw something that literally nobody else really saw or if he just fell into Crowder, but he really has made some great trades. Um, so I, but does that mean that other GMs are scared to trade with him? No, I don't, think that's, I don't think that's true at all. I think that at the end of the day, if you know, two teams can come to an agreement, if, if they can fit some needs, and let's be real, I mean, if Ainge is trading draft picks, then I think a team can justify making a trade. If they're looking to rebuild in a way, they would you know, they'd be more willing to part with some talent uh, knowing that th- that talent could turn into something if they're getting those draft picks in return. You know, it's, it's, it's a guessing game with draft picks. You really don't know, you know, what the pick's going to end up being, who's going to be available with it, and that's that's the risk you run. And, and, and when you start trading those draft picks, I'm sure, and I know that the Suns GM, Ryan McDonough, he's already he's already regretted uh, trading Isaiah Thomas for, you know, that first-round draft pick that they got in Virginia. Yeah, and he's publicly stated as much, which is funny. Right. And you talk about the wild card with draft picks. How about the Cleveland Cavaliers' loss to the Nets this week? That is absolutely – I mean, Oof. I know LeBron played hard, but we have to talk about his mouth and his actions in the media heading into the playoffs and then just the body language on the court. I, is it possible he could actually turn his back? On, on Cleveland. I don't even mean the Cavaliers. I understand, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that maybe he and Kyrie don't get along and, you know, mm-hmm. Kevin Love and the third wheel. And I think they're going to perform in the playoffs. I don't, I think they'll get that ship righted. I think they're all a, all a bunch of professionals and the playoffs will square it away. But in the midst of all that, kind of a kick in the nuts to the Celtics with that, with, with the Nets getting, getting a uh, win. And then, of course, the Celtics beat Phoenix as well. But right. don't, don't you think, I mean, is it, it's definitely inappropriate, in my opinion, what LeBron's doing. Maybe not crazy inappropriate, but knowing he's got a microscope. But do you think he would actually turn his back again on Cleveland at the end of this season? <laughs> so I'll start from the beginning. I think it's so childish, the whole unfollowing the Cavs from Twitter or Instagram or whatever the heck he's doing on social media. That's just, like, come on, dude. Like, somebody, or I think, I think Cleveland.com came on and said that it's because he's He's winding down before he shuts himself off in social media. It's like, okay, so you just unfollowed the cabs. Like, like that's really distracting you. The team's Twitter account's really distracting you on social media. Like, I, I highly doubt that that's the reason why. I don't... Sorry. Hold on a second. <laughs> it's all good. But not Hold only on. that, I'll just... I'll, while you... <laughs> I'll just say this. Not only that, the whole... but But also talking about... Wanting to play with Chris Paul, wanting to play with uh, Dwayne Wade, and I forget the other one. Why am I forgetting all the names? It's Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, him, and one other. But he wanted them all to come together, you know, and, and maybe hopefully play one time before they retire. And I just think that, you know, that too... It's more of taking everything that happened and lumping it together. The Twitter thing, sure, it's definitely childish, and it's definitely something that, you know, like, come on, man. I mean, do you even run your own Twitter account? Like, I almost 
don't believe that any of these NBA players actually run their own Twitter account. I feel like they got somebody who kind of helps them with it. But when you take all the things that came up this week and you look at the picture, it's, I feel like it's very clear that LeBron is trying to send a message to you know the leadership or the management or you know maybe it's Dan Gilbert, but all the way up the chain at in the Cavs organization, and they already fired David Blatt this year and put in Tyron Lue. Like LeBron, if he's mad about anything, it's all his own doing, right? Right. Sorry about that earlier, but um, absolutely. I listen. You're. I'm with you. I think something's very fishy. The things that he's done, the things that he's said. The picture of him working out with Dwayne Wade in Miami even earlier than a couple weeks ago, I think it was about a month ago now, it's these little things that are adding up. He's being very sketchy. A reporter even asked him, you know, why he, followed, why he unfollowed the Cavs on Twitter, and he, he wouldn't answer the question. I mean, dude, if, it's, if it is what people are hoping that it is, that you're really just trying to, you know, prepare for the playoffs, and why can't you just go on and say that? Why are, you, why are you creating all this extra havoc, all this extra commotion when – the least, the last thing you want right now is distractions before the playoffs. So I'm very skeptical of what his, what his, you know, reasons for doing these are. And I, I'm honestly not going to be shocked at all if, I mean, pardon me, will be shocked because it's so ridiculous. But I won't be shocked in the sense that he's left the Cavs at four, and, and he could easily do it again. And he's a Nike guy, you know what I mean? He, his, his main source of income is through Nike, you know what I mean? So if, I think if those guys are pushing him, you know, behind the scenes that, you know, this might be a good business decision to maybe get out of Cleveland, maybe maybe Cleveland isn't good enough to win another ring, maybe, you know, he really does have issues with Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving behind the scenes. I don't know if he does. I don't know if that's just rumors that don't, that don't end up at all. But if those really are, if that really is the case, he could have some voices, you know, over his shoulder saying, hey, Let's get out of here now. You know, don't don't sign that you know long term deal that's going to keep you here for the rest of your career. And that's kind of crazy. That's going to make for like the craziest off season that we've seen if he does opt out and choose to go elsewhere. Now they won't even let him back in the state if he does that. Oh yeah, yeah, he's not allowed. (laughs) You know, reunion in Akron. He's dead. He's totally. He's dead to clean. But as a matter of fact, he might want to stay out of that, you know, northern, northeastern, midwestern area altogether because uh, that would be just about the worst thing that he could do for a huge market segment that, you know, obviously has. I mean, they were mad at him when he left and they welcomed him back with open arms. But if he turns his back on that city another time, it's going to get disgusting. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly. And you know what, though? If he does, I mean, there comes a point where. I mean, if you're if you're an ex girlfriend or something like that, and you keep going back to the same guy or vice versa, at one at some point you just got to have some self respect and say, you know what, screw you, dude. Like we we don't want you back here anymore. You know we we're done with you. You know, and, and the way he's the way he's kind of been treating them, treating the fans, or or you know the, just the way his attitude's been lately, it's almost kind of like does he even? You almost wonder if he really doesn't want to be there at all, or if he regrets signing in the first place. So. If that does happen, if I'm a Cavs fan, I'm just completely over it. And I'm like, you know what, good riddance. He's, he's getting up there in, in basketball age anyway. I'm not saying that he's past, past his prime or that he's not good anymore. Obviously, he's still one of the best players in the NBA. But there are some up-and-comer players in the league that if you can you – know, you can rebuild quicker than you think in the NBA. I mean, just look at the Celtics. You know, they re, they rebuild it quicker than a lot of people thought. Now, 
losing LeBron is obviously a huge step back, but if you can build around Kyrie or if you can bring in a couple other players uh, and just move on from LeBron if he really doesn't want to be there, just be done with that with that complicated relationship that seems to be happening right now. Yeah, and all right, so we'll move on from the Cavs because I know we got to wrap here in just a minute. I want you to be able to get back to your family and totally appreciate you making time for us. But when we oh, no started our show last week, the Celtics, Jay Crowder went down. They were riding a four-game losing streak. And for me personally, I was like, I think the whole wheels come off without Crowder. I think he's the the heart and soul of this team. Mm-hmm. you know. And this is, I guess, this past week or the past two weeks have been a, a real good example of it's never as bad as you think and it's never as good as you think because now they're riding a four-game winning streak. Again, they're only one back in the win column of the third seed from Atlanta. And I think a big part of it, obviously Kelly Olynyk kind of got his groove and, and, and he's back. And even Amir Johnson, which we're not going to have time to cover him, I don't think. But Amir Johnson has been playing better. But really, Evan up. Turner getting plugged into that starting lineup instead of going super small with Smart, even though Smart's had, had play, has played his part in the last week as well. And I know mm-hmm. people will talk about Phoenix, but I really want to lock in as we close this out on Evan Turner because... Really, I think, what was it? They lost the first two games since Crowder uh, without with Smart in the lineup, and then he inserted Evan Turner, and they lost a couple, but then they won the four yeah. straight, right? They're four and two with with Turner in the starting lineup. Yeah, they kind of righted the ship there. Yeah, what absolutely. You... Evan Turner, he's been – he has been – before he was inserted into the starting lineup, there was some chatter that he should be in the running for six minutes of the year, and I still feel like that should be the case because – you're kind of seeing, you know, his words coming off the bench because the bench has been, you know, aside from a Linux having a good game, I think one one really good game, one or two really good games actually, um, and smart chipping in here and there, the bench has been, you know, pretty pretty weak, I would say, relatively speaking, without Turner. We're kind of beating the heart and soul of that bench. But this guy has really come you know, he's done a one eighty in his career. When he when he left Indiana, I mean he just left on some some it seemed like some bad terms there, you know, the team underperformed in the playoffs and Nobody wanted Evan Turner in the offseason. The Celtics got him on a great deal. Danny you know, he really pulled off a nice little offseason deal there. And I remember when that happened, I was like, you know what? This is a little bit of a reclamation project, but not. But this, this guy was an amazing college basketball player. I mean, he was drafting them to overall for a reason. Um, yeah, maybe it, was a, maybe it was a couple picks too high in the grand scheme of things going looking back. But he's still, when you watch him play, I mean, he can do everything. I mean, he can handle the ball pretty well. I mean, once in a while, he'll, he'll get a little too fancy and, he'll, and he'll, he'll lose the ball. But when I watch him drive to the hoop, I think he'll do some things with, with his handles, whether it's behind the back or spin moves, whatever it may be, where I'm like, damn, like, this guy can play ball. And, and he took a lot of heat, I would say, in a lot of last season and parts of this season. But I think now it's pretty much consensus that, you know, he is one of the most important guys. And I would say number three, probably most important guy on the team behind – Isaiah and Crowder, and you know, 1A, 1B, and then you get Evan Turner, because Brad Stevens uses this guy in pretty much every situation. I mean, he doesn't start, and when Crowder's healthy, he doesn't start, but the fact that he's in the game at the end of every single game, and sometimes he'll play, like, the entire fourth quarter. I mean, we, we joke about it, but it's fourth quarter Evan Turner. I mean, he kind of goes into another, you know, another zone, another level in the fourth quarter, where you just trust him to make the right decision, whether it's, you know, a little 18-footer, or whether it's it's a nice pass, which I've been impressed with his passing. Um, he's really, he's really impressive here, and that's why I think he's going to have sneaky, kind of like a lot of 
a lot of interest from teams around the NBA uh, in this offseason. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I also think, well, we debated this last week, John and I, about whether or not Evan Turner, you know, was somebody that was a cog as a, a, a good spot, like as a seventh man, not quite the sixth man, but as a seventh man who's there to fill in. And, and John kind of feels like that's an area where this team could really upgrade. And I almost feel like Turner is just such a perfect fit for how Brad Stevens, you know, Brad Stevens needs a Swiss army knife. If Evan Turner can right. accept his role as a, as a seventh man, maybe sometimes a sixth man, depending on need, you know, then I think, I think he's a, a, a great addition to stay on this team. So here I got to, I want to throw one last question at you before we wrap. Is it true? And I know you were at the game against the Raptors and you covered this, but is it true that Mark Wahlberg is going to play the part of lucky in the postseason to make sure that Isaiah (laughs) Thomas stays hot in every game? (laughs) I hope so. That's a good idea. I think, I think Wahlberg's going to be around, right? He's still in some movies, but that was a, uh, I'll tell you what, that was probably not to take anything away from the Celtics, but I think maybe the biggest cheer of the night when Mark Wahlberg was shown on the Jumbotron. I just, it was mostly women, mostly women cheering, but I definitely heard uh, some, some deeper voice. There was a lot of guys happy to see him, and I, and I, and I know Isaiah Thomas was happy to see him because, as you guys saw, he hit that three, made sure to dedicate that three-pointer to uh, Mark Wahlberg there. So, I, I, listen, I'm, count me on board. If Mark Wahlberg wants to become uh, the new lucky we can find another role for Lucky, you know, uh, with the with the rest of the dance, you know, the, the male dancers there. And I don't know if Wahlberg has some, has the hops to do the trampoline, uh, the trampoline dunk halftime show. Come whatever, on, dude, whatever feel it, it feel it, dude. That guy's <laughs> all about the vibrations. He could throw it down. I guarantee you, he's in shape. He could he could make he he's could make Lucky there, look though. like a fool. He could punk him. He's getting up there in age, though. But you know what? You wouldn't know it because he, he's still. He's still the swoon that he was, you know, back in the uh, Marky Mark and the Funky Punch days. Dude, he was doing backflips back then. You think he can't handle a <laughs> trampoline front flip with a slam? He's all about it. All hey, right, the challenge, and I want to see him. I want to see him uh, in the playoffs. Hopefully, hopefully we do see him because, to be honest, I don't see him in any Celtics games. So, you know, he's he's a big Bostonian, so it would be nice to see him, you know, representing the team this year in the playoffs. Hopefully. Hopefully they get out of the first round. I think that's huge for this team this year. If they can win a playoff round, that's, in my opinion, you know, that, that's a successful season for them. Yeah, I agree. Just progress year after year. Well, hopefully right. Isaiah Thomas will get his chance to get into a movie with Mark Wahlberg. He has to be jealous of me because, you know, I was in a movie with Donnie Wahlberg, his brother. So, you know, what Isaiah movie? will have to, have to upstage me a little bit. What movie is that? That's actually Return to the Rafters. Uh, it was Donnie Wahlberg, OJ's lawyer, Mike Munger, uh, the super fan, and then myself. Yep, and they yep. followed me around that whole season. So, yeah, Donnie, I, I never actually met Donnie Wahlberg, but I didn't say Donnie Wahlberg and I were like sidekicks like on my, Blue Bloods. I need to get my hands on that, on that movie is what I need to do. I, I'll tell you what. I have a digital edition, so you just shoot me your address, and I'll, I'll put oh, it yeah. on DVD and shoot it over to you. Absolutely, that sounds that sounds great. All right, sweet. And I I didn't know that I was talking to a, a you know I would say B-list, C-list celebrity. Would you call yourself? <laughs> I'd say maybe C minus. C minus. Okay, C minus. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. uh, there's no red carpet or anything, but they might let me in. <laughs> no, no, like no. the back door. Like I'm not on the official attendance list. It's sort so of like go on public. Guard knows me anyway. Go on public. <laughs> so you go on public. You're not getting bothered. Right. 
<laughs> All right, everybody. Jimmy Toscano from Comcast Sports New England. You can also catch him on CLNS Radio's Garden Report with Jared Weiss. Always awesome to see you on there. And you do a great job with Jared. You and you and Jared have great chemistry. I know Kevin joins you sometimes, Kevin O'Connor. But, uh, you know, you guys are doing really good stuff. And it's just awesome to uh, to see yet somebody else tied to Jeff Clark and the Celtics blog, you know, wagon uh, having some success, you know, sort of post blog. It's it's just uh, it's a great thing to see, and and, and things have things have uh, things have changed actually quite a bit. Uh, you know, the more they change, the more they stay the same. But in covering the game the other night, a lot of things are the same. But the way that this game is being covered in just in the last five years is, has really been been totally different than than it has in the past. I, I love all the media content, all different types of avenues. And, and again, you do an awesome job with Jared. So thanks for coming on the show, especially in the middle of your family get-together on Easter. Hey, man, I really appreciate it, Justin. It's, uh, it's, it's great to talk to Celtics with you guys again. I hope to, uh, hope to hope you guys have me back on maybe later on in the season. And uh, hopefully we're talking about uh, a little playoff run. Absolutely. I think we will be. All right, Jimmy, have a great night. Always a great interview with Jimmy Toscano. I know it's been a while since we were able to speak to him, and he was kind of a rookie on the scene when we when we did in the early days. But I will tell, I mean, his early days, our later days, the old days. But what <laughs> I will say days. is, dude, what a hilarious interview. And I, I, I was surprised. I don't think, I mean, this is what I gleaned from the interview, but I don't think he ever saw Return of the Rafters because he did not know that I was in a movie with Donnie Wahlberg and that Isaiah Thomas should be jealous with his newfound friendship with Mark Wahlberg. But also, I, I think i got to take my digital edition of this, get it on a DVD, and ship it out to Jimmy. So, you know, he calls he calls us the OGs, John, but he just doesn't even know how OG. Wait till he sees that scene in the Kennebunk rest area. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you're talking about OGs in a rest area. People are going to start thinking of the Olive Garden is what we are. But, Shoot uh, up. We we should be giving you free salad and bread for for this show, but uh, no, you know he, <laughs> we are we're old school. We're we're bringing it back. Who I who had any idea that the Wahlbergs were going to be such a, a a talk point in this team? I mean, there was you know well you know if you want to tie in some earlier rumors, there were the rumors. Of course, Jimmy Butler's best pal is Mark Wahlberg. And there were some rumors about Steve Bullpett trying to, you know, saying that 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 Ainge was looking at to bring in Jimmy Butler as part of maybe as part of that big deal, that big rumored deal that didn't happen. I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's something else going on there. But it's Dude, hard to you tell. You love you some Jimmy Butler. I do. I you do. you love Jimmy Butler. I do. Woo! I'm telling you, there's a lot of love here. This if is it was Valentine's Day, man. You know, it's just. Tweet, tweet, tweet birds, you know? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Like we talked about with Jimmy, you know, and, and the fact that this culture is very much predicated. There's a lot of themes that came out in the articles the last two weeks about the Celtics love players with a chip on their shoulder. You know, Jimmy Butler's, he's still got a, he's got a chip on his shoulder. I think he yeah. would fit this culture pretty well. There's some guys that, you know, you got that chip on your shoulder, and, and we talked about Boogie Cousins, and obviously a lot this year, but also, you know, with Jimmy about how Brad Stevens would be able to handle, you know, a star power guy that 
that maybe has already gotten his paycheck and is already proven and and has that kind of more of a Rasheed Wallace in his early career kind of chip versus somebody like Butler who fits right into that Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder. He's got their kind of chip on his shoulder. So maybe you're on to something. I'd love to see it. The Bulls are now falling to pieces. There's 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 maybe a chance at this. Yeah, I mean, that that was the, always the hardest part, I think, was motive, trying to figure out why would the Bulls give up, you know, this all-star player that they've just signed, and, you know, but, you know, you start listening to some of the stuff behind the scenes, and there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes of the Chicago Bulls, you know, this this tug of, you know, you know, why did they get rid of Tibbs, and, you know, you know, Derek Rose doesn't get along with Jimmy Butler, and they start benching, you know, Joe Kim Noah, I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff out of Chicago, anything... It could happen with that team this summer, and if could you see Jimmy Butler on the block? Absolutely. And what I like best about Jimmy Butler, if they did go out and spend a lot to get a Jimmy Butler, I still think they have enough assets to add another player, or to use you know use the cap space and sign somebody you know a legit all star. There aren't many guys who do what Jimmy Butler does. He can slide between the two and the three. He can defend both positions. He's a plus scorer. He's a rebounder. He's a defender. I mean, he does it all for you. And you can slide him next to a guy like Kevin Durant. You can slide him next to a Blake Griffin. Um, you know, some of the big players that are out there in the next you know year or this summer. And that's what I like a lot about what he can do. Unfortunately, he's under contract with another team. But... You know, all it takes is a phone call and weird stuff to happen once again in Chicago. And, hey, another Marquette guy for Jay Crowder to go, uh, you know, pal around with. And I don't think that's a bad thing for the Boston Celtics. No, no, he would be a good addition. And, and you know, as we know, stranger things have happened and probably will happen again. Okay, so we're going to look forward to this week before we look back at last week. And what I'm talking about is this West Coast trip. Now, the Celtics already got the Suns' win, which combined with the Nets winning over LeBron's team is sort of, you know, it's great for this year, but maybe not so great for next year. But you never know with the lottery anyway. But at the end of the day, I could just slap LeBron for all the distractions that allowed the Nets to get a win because that was clearly a chemistry loss. But the Celtics get the win against the Suns. It's close. It's a close one. But it's the last game. By the time everybody listens to this on Monday morning, that's the last game we have to go on. They really let Phoenix climb back in in the third quarter. But let's look ahead. Celtics got a matchup against the Clippers, who they beat in their last matchup. They have a matchup against Portland, who they beat in the last matchup. And then on April 1st, Friday, they have the what, what I would call a chance at revenge against the Golden State Warriors. And you talked about the significance of potential significance of that game last year i mean last show but Mm -hmm. you know they owe them one because they were undefeated the last (laughs) time they matched up and then what did golden state lose was it the bucks that golden state lost to the very next game because the Celtics basically kicked their ass into being so tired they couldn't finish one out against the bucks and you know i gotta think that there's a little sense of false confidence for the celtics in that in that game i guess you know is it possible we know that Jay Crowder's going on this road trip, and if Kelly Olynyk is any indication, he's still going to need some games to to shake the rust off. But we also know he is Jay Crowder, and shaking the rust off is kind of what he does really quickly. Do you think you're going to see Jay Crowder in the lineup against Golden State, and do you think they they have a chance? I know they have a chance against the Clippers in Portland. I really believe that in my heart. But what about Golden State? Might we 
Might we see them split the season series? Because that would be more than most teams have done in this league this year. Yeah, or anybody. And no one's gone into Golden State and won this year. Obviously, they, Golden State just surpassed the 86 Celtics record of the earliest clinching of a playoff spot this past weekend. So, you know, look, these guys are good. We all know they're good. Are they resting on their laurels? Look, I think we're going to we're gonna have to hope for some injuries, to be quite blunt. Uh, that's a really, really, really tough group to, uh, to compete with. And, you know... I'm not even going to go in hoping, expecting. One thing I would say, and I could be wrong about this, but I think last year when they played, Celtics got down big and then came back big and made it a close one at Golden State. Um, of course, they. Of course, we all remember what happened here with the amazing, probably you know one of, if not one of, if not the game of the year, one of the games of the year, certainly the top five game in the, of the year in the NBA for this entire season. I don't put a whole lot of stock in what's going to happen Friday night. I just look. That's a that's a freight train. That's a team that's that's aiming for the tippity top of the of the pinnacle right now. We're hoping to get near the top of near the top of the Eastern Conference, which is a second class conference right now. So while I'd love it, I think Crowder will play. I think that he's going to give it a go. Um, he may even play the night before, but I, I'm guessing he's, you know, just to kind of get the shake that rust off you're talking about, um, but not a lot. And then, uh, you know, everyone go great guns the next night in, uh, in, uh, in Oakland. But like you said, um, <laughs> look, this is a tough well, trip. It is a if tough they trip. Go, if they go three and two on this trip, they've done damn well. Damn yeah, well. I would agree with that. One statistic that would have been in their favor maybe earlier in the year that I'm less less confident or fantasizing about is the fact that it is this it, it's a game that is the second in two nights you know so it's the second of a back to back which was an awesome statistic for this Celtics club earlier in the year I'm not so sure it's as as strong of an indicator now that we're down the stretch but let me ask you this should and or will Golden State begin to rest some of these these players so that they are 100% in the postseason because it, it I mean I know it didn't hurt the Bulls that year but this is quite a lot of work to sustain this level of play all season long try to set the wins record all of that pressure we already have talked numerous times in the past and it's pretty much one of those you know underlying themes in, in many writers' conversations about the season being too long and the NBA bodies holding up, should they and or will they rest some of their players by... Because that's, what, two weeks to go to the playoffs. It's a perfect time to start doing it. I, I know the Spurs are right there for that seed, but you almost think they, they might want to experiment and, and get some of these guys some rest, even if it is just, you know, Clay Thompson for the night or Draymond Green against the Celtics might be a risk they'd be willing to take. Well, at this point, they're sixty-five and seven, so they've got to go. They've got to go eight and two to beat the record, which is entirely possible. I mean, look, they've they've got they got they got the Sixers coming in. They've got the Bullets coming in, or excuse me, the the Wizards. <laughs> bring them back to the old school. They got they that's got all the right. Wolves. That's a good shout and, out. That's a good throwback. And, but they got the Spurs twice. Now the Spurs might rest guys, right? They might rest. They might rest some guys, but they got a home and home, you know, sandwiched around uh, a game in Memphis. I don't think they can afford 
to rest guys in the Celtics game. I think if they want to make that record, they gotta they gotta bust their butts here uh, before they start playing those those great games against the Spurs. Um, so while I'd love to see it, um, you know, there's there it's not a back to back for them. They play Wednesday, then they don't play till Sunday. I think we're gonna get we're gonna get the full on, you know, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. The de- lineup of death with the, uh, you know, with Draymond <laughs> out there. The it's, lineup it's gonna of be, death. We're gonna get their best, and I think that's good. Good. Let's see what we let's see what we match up, and you know, <laughs> let's just really follow no to the Celtics. To your point, if they can finish three and two, they play strong against Golden State. You know, their games yeah. against Golden State could say a whole lot more about this team this year than any of the games against Toronto. And I guess I do want to look back to this past week because they had lost four straight when you and I did this show last last week. Now they've won four straight. And there's a bunch of reasons for that, but Evan Turner has definitely had a solid week. He must have known you were talking crap about him last week. And then, yeah. and then, but <laughs> but you can't give it all. I mean, he's done really nice. He's had a really good week. But there are a couple of other factors. Obviously, Kelly Olynyk is shaking the rust off, and he's starting to shoot again uh, at a nice clip. But I think one of the bigger developments, and it almost makes me wonder you know, just how savvy a veteran Amir Johnson is because he's been in and kind of out of, but this past week, it almost looked like he's in the best shape he's been all year. And you almost have to wonder if he kind of saved himself a little bit, you know, without, without being a detriment to the team, but if he almost saved himself a little bit, didn't really push it. And now he's just trying to get into that extra gear before they go into the postseason. Cause all of a sudden his work on the glass is just like, at least consistently game after game more than we've seen from him. I think in any other stretch. Yeah. That's, you know, that's been the really interesting thing. I mean, look, they've been playing some, they played some pretty bad teams. They played, you know, of those four, that four game win streak, three of them are, are lottery teams. The fourth is Toronto, not having, not playing their best player. So, you know, we've got to color that, that four game win streak with, with a little bit of, um, you know, skepticism, I, mean, I guess. But the fact that Amir is playing that well is, to me, is the biggest, is one of the biggest highlights of that. In that, okay, you know, I was, I was thinking honestly, I don't know about you, but the way he's been going the last, not just the last you know, week, I'd say the last two, three months, or let's say two months, the last two months, I'm thinking that's a guy, regardless of whether or not you have a free agent, you cut him loose with that $12 million unguaranteed contract for next year. And you just find someone else to spend twelve million on because he was he was not he was not playing well. He was losing minutes, and I don't know if it's a health thing. I don't know what it is, but but boy, what a great time to to have that kick in and uh, you know bring back the Amir that we really saw. I think at the early parts, the very early parts of the season, um, when he looked so promising for the Celtics. Yeah, and I think at that pay with the uh, with the cap going up in the room, like he is. And again, this I'm not going to say this to demean what he did this week and you know put Johnson down. But I'm just looking at total minutes and every, if he were the guy, if there was somebody else that did provide what he provided that was on this team who could play center, he is such a perfect first big off the bench for a championship club. 
It's exactly where he needs to be because then he could get some rest here and there, you know. But because he has to be in this Celtics lineup night in and night out as the starter, I think it took its toll. And I think to your point, those, you know, it was over the course of that two months, we were all kind of asking the question, but, you know, his rotations were still good. You know, his defense, he was still where he was supposed to be and he was out on the floor. But was he exceptional? Had he had any really great nights? No. The articles that were out there at the beginning of the season about, hey, this is what Amir Johnson meant to the Toronto Raptors. Boy, did we get a steal. Well, all of a sudden, a lot of that talk went away. As a matter of fact, the scariest sign was just how quiet it was. If you talked about Amir Johnson, birds would chirp. And and now all of a sudden, <laughs> I mean, for real, right? He was like the forgotten man. Totally. I remember in one of our early episodes, we asked the guest, and I can't remember which one it was, um, but it might have even have been uh, Sean Grandy. But it was sort of like, isn't Amir Johnson the unsung hero of this club? He often goes unnoticed. And then in the weeks following, all we did was proceed to, you know, subtly ask the question, what does he bring into this club up until this week? And now you and I are saying, you know, what he brings to this club is very valuable if he can put it all out on the floor, do it night in and night out. And just maybe when we hit the postseason, we're going to see exactly why he's brought in. Mm-hmm. I I hope you're right. I really do. I'm. I you know, other than them, yeah. I say, you know, people always go by what they've seen lately, and what I've seen lately has been, like you said, that perfect big that you can bring off the bench and fits right into what you're doing and can do a little bit of everything. He can defend. He can rebound. He can block a few shots. He's he's mobile enough. Uh, you know, is a great complement to a lot of things you do. A great rim, you know, rim runner, you know, screen setter, and and can do a, any number of different things for you. But it had been missing, and thank goodness it's back. Thank goodness it's back. Um, and you know, going along with the quietness of of uh, the Amir Johnson, also quieting down is that we need to get Jordan Mickey up into the those those minutes. It's taking its minutes That's because a after great that four point. game. After that four-game win streak, that's a lot of what I was certainly calling for. I don't know about anyone else. Yeah, with all of those losses, and, you know, Mickey has the ability to block shots, but you are absolutely right. Mickey came up, got a little bit of time, and then I haven't heard anybody demand Jordan Mickey get time since then. And yep. and maybe it's Amir Johnson, but but maybe people got enough of a look at Jordan Mickey to say, you know what, he's a good guy off the bench. It's nice that we have that depth. There's probably a good chance that some of the, if we do make a trade, if the Celtics move some picks, they're going to move some players, and it's guys like Jordan Mickey that they're going to need to come up and sort of round out, you know, the depth in in the front court. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind about that. So I, I still think there's lots to love about Jordan Mickey, and I don't think he, I don't think he did anything to say he's not a valuable chip for the future. But I think right. he, I think I think the fan base quieted down a little bit once they actually had a chance to see him. Well, I, well, I, I think it's more of that what's out there wasn't much better either. You know what I mean? I mean, he was – I think I think that, you know, you always look for – if the veterans are do, getting the job done, eh, you might hear a few people saying, let's bring the kids in. But I think in this case, it was – Amir wasn't getting the job done. It hadn't been for a while. And you're looking at the, at the bench and you're saying, let's give the kid a shot. And – <laughs> you know, and and luckily, luckily for Amir, maybe he saw that as a kick in the butt and said, "You know what? I got I got to raise my game." I'm not sure, but I, I like 
I like what we've seen out of him. I'm hoping that this is the, the start of a long trend that we're going to see, but his injury history always worries me. So, you know, whatever we get from him, I, I'm always thankful for because you never know when it's going to be gone. Yeah. Oh, good point there. You never, it could come and go, you know, like the wind. There's no doubt. That's the big concern. I, I got a feeling unless he has to get shut down in the postseason, you know, think about how much time off they have in between games. Think about the pace of the postseason versus the pace of the regular season. You never have back-to-backs, right? There's always a night off. Those things play into a savvy vet like Johnson's hands and his ability to manage, you know, what I think is plantar fasciitis. I think that's his, his major issue. But, all right, let's go to Marcus Smart because I know we want to dive into this a little bit and we're getting close to the end of the show. But Bob Ryan you know, kind of slung some mud at Marcus Smart and really stirred up the Twitter sphere. Lots of debate. And, you know, you mentioned Jimmy, and we didn't get a chance. uh, I know we talked about it in the opening, but we didn't get a chance to talk to Jimmy uh, about his opinion on Marcus Smart. And the two of you were going back. I mean, really, the two of you were almost carrying a a good majority of of that conversation. I'm in your court, John. So, you know, we're going to be two talking heads saying oh i agree i agree i agree agree. you're absolutely right (laughs) i mean does marcus smart concern me yes but i'm listen i i love somebody who's feisty and won't back down and i know it's hurting him but until he does something truly stupid like ron artest i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get too concerned and i didn't expect him to be a lights-out scorer when he came into the league. And again, I know Devin Booker was a big comparison, and then we were heading into that game against Phoenix, and look at what Devin's doing. But Marcus Smart wasn't really, I mean, he was a scorer in the fact that he was bigger than all those college guards, and he would just go right at the rim. And do I think that Marcus Smart need does need to attack the rim a little bit more and into the paint? Yes. But I I can't remember whose argument it was, and I'll let you take it from here. But somebody said, well, look, he's sharing ball handling duties with Isaiah Thomas. It's almost as if he's being allowed to not have to overexert himself in the offense so he can let it come to him, and he has allowed the half-court game to come to him. Huge improvements in changing pace and passing between last year and this year. Yeah, well, and I'd point to this week. I thought this week... He really has improved. Um, he had a real tough game, uh, you know. The, when I always say he had a really good game, um, going back to the Sixer game last Sunday, um, I thought that the Friday night game in Toronto, you know, the last game in Toronto where the, the Celtics got blitzed, was really the the low point. Um, missing a lot of shots. I mean, just not playing well. And I thought, though his shooting wasn't spectacular against. I thought what he showed is much more of that north-south stuff. You know, getting to the bucket, making the right decision, uh, getting his teammates involved. I thought that's the, and I thought that's the Marcus Smart we've really seen over the last, in particular, over this winning streak. If if you want to, you know, tout the fact that they've won these games, to me, I think Marcus Smart's been a big part of those. He led the team in assists last night in in Phoenix. Um, He said, you know, part of the big play that I mean. There's so much that Marcus Smart can do. And he's 22 years old. He plays NBA defense as well as anybody in the league. And 
offensively, we knew he's going to be rough. We knew it was going to be a raw, um, a long haul to get him somewhere. But let's also remember, and I've said this probably a billion times on Twitter, let's remember he spent the vast majority of his summer with hands severely, with fingers severely dislocated on his shooting hand. He's not going to be able to go put put up put up 500 shots when he couldn't pick up a ball until September one. So before we start, you know, oh, he can't shoot, he can't shoot it. You know, look, that's if your hand is is literally busted, I mean, busted like Young MC has never seen. We got a problem there, and this is like the, this is this is the show of early '90s rap, apparently. Um, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, you're not going to make me say you can't touch this, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yes. Oh, too cold, too cold. All right, so I mean, look, he, he's got a situation where he's got to go in the gym this summer and work on his shot. No doubt about it. He's got to work on his feel for the game and working with his teammates. But have we not seen improvement there? I mean, to, to, to really look in the lens and be like, well, it's not happening. Okay, if you deal him, I'm okay with dealing him in the right deal. But the idea that somehow we need to shop him or move on from him because he's just not going to make it, make it look like he's the issue we need to rid ourselves of, is, is the biggest fallacy going right now. Well, I think That's that he's definitely learning... Yeah, no, I agree. There's no reason to shop him. And and the and the biggest the biggest reason for that is you're not making room for anybody else. There's right. nobody on deck. This is a perfect three-headed monster. He's learning a ton from Isaiah Thomas and you know, I know we're not going to talk about Isaiah ton because he was the all-star and we all know that he's running the show and we could just keep praise on him all season long. We could do the same for Jay Crowder. We're going to save that for the postseason. But I got to say, he did have one insane, like, sky floater. Because I don't know how else to describe it this week. But just phenomenal, phenomenal, like, way Isaiah Thomas continues to improve. I think he's teaching Marcus Smart how to improve. I think Marcus is learning a lot. There's nobody on deck behind Marcus. If there is a reason to consider moving Smart, and really my only red flag that stands out is the one that you just mentioned, which is he spent... You know, the whole summer, not being able to put shots up. And then he had to sit down to start the season. My number one concern is if he can't be out on the if he can't be out on the floor and he can't practice, that that is going to stunt his growth over time. And if his style of play, his tenacity, he can't figure out how to how to bring that, but bring it at the right moments and protect his body without reducing his impact on defense then, you know, we, you are going to have a problem and there is going to be a reason to potentially look at it. But at this point, it's just too early. How many NBA players suffer injuries in their career all That's the time? Right. And some happen early and some happen late. Look at Amir Johnson. You know, he came in at a young age and he really didn't suffer any injuries. But now the, now his body has taken its toll. As a matter of fact, having Marcus Smart come off the bench and, and running the amount of minutes that he is, if he can stay healthy, he should be able to improve at a nice steady pace, and then we'll have him for the meat of his career without having to worry so much about injuries when the minutes do pile up. And that could be something that's very encouraging. I just don't think, you know, the, again, the only concern for me is injury concern, and I just don't think that we're, we have any kind of 
uh, experience yet to say one way or another. Did he have a rough start? Sure. But three years from now, he might not miss a single game and continue to improve offensively. And, and, and another proving ground will be, to your point, if he's healthy through the postseason this offseason, we do you know, need to see the impact of him working on his jumper, working on his shot. I'm, I'm a lot less worried. Like I know people say he needs to develop a floater. I do want to see him you know, attack the rim and, and get a little bit better. But the dude can jump. He rebounded over Alex Len against Phoenix, right? So I've, I, right. I think with experience, with practice, he's going to have no problem finishing at the rim. But you know, getting a jumper down and, you know, right now the hot thing is everybody shoot a three-pointer, which I think is going to shift in the next three years. But, you know, this whole three and D thing, I think, is going to evolve and the mid-range is going to come back. But but ultimately, he just needs to be able to knock down some shots. What we don't want to see happen to him is what happened to Rondo, where everybody just plays off of him and makes sure that he can't get into the paint. Right. Well, and that's, and that's the issue is, like, you know, people are upset about his shooting percentage. Well, if he doesn't shoot those shots, then then other players they will be able to play off everybody, and they will create these you know faux zone situations. He has to take those shots. He has to spread the floor. Now, is there you know do you, do you try to do different things? Absolutely. I just think that you know we look at Avery Bradley, you know at this situation. Avery Bradley, of course, he's hurt. You know, sick last night and everything coming in. You and I, I remember talking about Avery Bradley a lot on this show, and you know, you're you and I talking about you know, is he a point guard? Is he not a point guard? What's his position? What can he do? Um, you know, and you were right. You said you know he's not a point guard. They shouldn't be putting you know giving him minutes at point guard. It's it's stunning his growth. It's not something that's been positive for him. And once they took him off the ball and they let him work off the ball. He found where he needed to be. Now I don't think Marcus Smart's that type of player, but I think what he what he the lesson from Avery Bradley is patience. And and the lesson from Kelly Olenek that you apply to Marcus Smart is patience. They have good player development people here in Boston. They know what they're doing. They know how to get the most out of these guys. And as long as they're showing something, and I'm saying James Young isn't someone who's shown something, but but in Marcus Smart, you have seen someone who's shown something. He has an NBA skill. He's using it, just like Marcus did. He's he's actually had nights where he has scored well. But to be consistent, and that's where Avery is continuing to work on it. But I see much more positivity out of where Marcus Smart can go with his game. I think he can be at least as good if, as Avery Bradley offensively, if not much more better, much, much better, much more consistently then it's a no-brainer. If it's an either-or, that's the guy you go with, is, is Marcus Smart. Um, so, you know, I understand, you know, we're, you know, who do you go with? Who do you, who do you cut? Who do you, you know, who are you trying to trade? You know, Rozier has played well of late. Um, looks like an NBA player. Looks like he, there's a lot of things he could be as an NBA player. I'm not sure he's fully formed as to what he will be. And you want to give him minutes, but... He needs more time than Smart does, though. I mean, I think he looks yes, good, yes. but you could not take Marcus. And this is why I say I don't think somebody's waiting in the wings or somebody's on deck because you could not take Marcus Smart off this team. Throw in Terry Rozier and tell me right now that you think that this team won't miss a beat next year when Rozier is in his sophomore year, the same as Smart. I don't buy that for a second. I think there is a clear difference between the two players and I do like Rozier believe me I'm not down on him either uh you know there's players I'm down on <clears throat> Sullinger 
I mean, he's played well this season, but I just I think that's Amen. a position. I think that's a player we can upgrade on, which is funny because I really, really liked him in the early going. But mm-hmm. there's just you know we talked about it last show. We don't need to hash it again now. And 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 again, I I don't want to be down on I don't want to be down on players, but I'm but sometimes I got to call it like it is for me and what I see, my eye test. But, you know, what I think about people's attitudes towards leadership and development in the game. But I I see a lot of similarities between Rozier and Marcus Smart. But I don't think you could trade away Marcus Smart, bring in Rozier next year in his sophomore year, and and not experience a, a drop-off. I don't think he's quite there. You know, what's interesting to look at is, okay, so let's look at Smart and Rozier. Marcus Smart's only 11 days older than Terry Rozier. You know, he's got an extra year of experience, but which who would you rather have right now? I mean, there's no question you'd rather have Marcus Smart on your team. None. I mean, Terry Rozier could grow into something, but in the same respect, so could Marcus. So it's way early on both guys. I hate to move either one before I know what I had with either one, but the Celtics may be in a position this summer that they have to, you know, move on from, from one. Um, the you can't. I can't believe they're going to go into next year with Smart, Thomas, Bradley, um, with Evan Turner, and Rozier, and James Young, and R.J. Hunter. I can't believe those seven guys are going to be Celtics come training camp October 1. I'd be surprised no, they can't. If, if five of them are. They have to make some changes. They have to consolidate mostly to help the front court, to, to your point about Sullinger. But unfortunately, that's going to that's gonna open some time. And, I, and that, you know, yeah, you might end up moving Marcus Smart, and that gives Terry Rozier time. But I don't think that's the priority. I think it's really to, to keep the team they have together, to build from within. And, and whoever they're moving, they're, they're bit pieces. Uh, I don't think that they're going to move Marcus Smart in a big deal. I just don't think that that's... It seems like that would be selling low at this point on a guy I think that has a tremendous upside potential um, in the coming years. Well, at the beginning of the season, before we brought the show back, and again, I'm not sure that this is going to reflect positively on my assessment skills, but (laughs) at the beginning of the season, I think Mark is smart as a closer. I really do. And I'm going to bring up a couple of things that happened this year. But number one, at the beginning of the season before he was injured, when he was out on the floor, I was demanding that he be out there with Bradley and Isaiah Thomas be on the bench. Now, we never think of such a thing now. But in the beginning of the year, I just saw this team close gaps and leads when they were behind. I saw effort. I saw tenacity. And I thought that Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart were working very well together to close out games. And I, I just, you know, at the time, I felt strongly that Isaiah should be coming off the bench. I loved him as a scorer, but his game is involved a ton. So it says a lot for Isaiah Thomas, too. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anything's changed since I saw that at the beginning of the season in terms of my impression of Marcus Smart. Now, I know what happened, uh, you know, against the Knicks where, you know, he kind of got lucky. Brad Stevens got lucky and he and he made the play to be able to close out that game that should have been a loss. And I also know what game was it when he dribbled up the floor and he shot the stupid three pointer. Like that was probably the first time I saw Marcus smart, like really make an egregious bad decision at the end of the game, you know, and then we see him fight for rebounds. Like I said earlier against Alex Len in the Phoenix game. I mean, I just think the guy is willing to do whatever it takes to win. 
And I think that having that mentality and then backing it up with your play on the court, is he going to have some boneheaded plays? Sure. But that boneheaded three-point attempt that was still, what, four steps behind the three-point line with people wide open in the corner, a lot of options, and still plenty of time on the clock. As much as that was stupid, one of the reasons he makes those kinds of plays is because he believes that he'll make them. And when he went up for that ill-advised three-pointer, he felt in his heart that that shot was more likely to go in than not. More likely than not. There's a Patriots reference for you. More probable (laughs) than not that it was going to go in because he (laughs) believed in it. And, And again, I'm not saying that you know, any old that always works for every player, and you start doing that too much. You know, he what he needs to believe in is that he's going to make the right pass, and then that that shot's going to go in in that instance. But I think we see more of the plays like the one against the Knicks than we do with him taking an ill-advised three-pointer. You know, in a game that they really had no business being in to begin with. Right, and you know, <laughs> Jay Crowder gets called for a technical foul. Uh, on the free throw, you know, on the free throw line, saying some some junk to uh, you know Randy Whitman on the Washington bench. Nobody says a word about it, but it becomes Marcus Smart because we've got this narrative going with Marcus Smart. You know, he's the kid. He's you know he's on, you know he can't trust him. He's on the edge, and you know people people love Mark you know, Crowder. They love the edge he plays with. Crowder's 25 years old. You know, you have to find time to shave, shed those edges off and sand those things down. Who do you trust more than to put a, to, to put a guy in the right position than Brad Stevens? <laughs> you know, the I, Mavericks' Jay Crowder is the Celtics' Marcus Smart, right? Right on. Right <laughs> on. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I, I guess, you know, yeah, is he... Is, does he, you know, fit all the categories? Is he the shooter? Does he? No, he looks like a football player playing basketball. But you know what? He's effective. He gets the job done, and yeah, you know, they seem to be winning. They seem to win when he's on the floor. In fact, his offensive rating—I tweeted this, retweeted this earlier in the day. His offensive rating right now: Dan Greenberg from uh, Boston, Stool, Boston. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, Barstool Sports! My there you God, go. My, this has been a long day. Um, Barstool Sports, you know, his net rating right now is is uh, plus four points per 100 possessions, which is the third best on the team. So behind Jay and behind Isaiah, he's got the third best net rating on the team. So what do you want? I mean, and he's coming him? off the bench, right? You know, we got, we got not, an all star, a near all star, all that absolutely. Right, we get all star and your all star, and we're just gonna like always oh, trade him away. He's not even two years into his career. He's the sixth pick in the NBA draft. You want to trade him? I mean, come on, come on, Bob. You're better than yep. that. And honestly, I I've I've stopped listening to Bob Ryan the moment after the KG trade happened. He's like, this team can't contend because they aren't deep enough. How'd that work out for you, Bob, in 2008? Yeah. Well. Drop. <laughs> That that was that was uh, before the salary cap era that that applied, you know. Uh, uh, well, everything after the salary cap. If the more top heavy you get, the more likely you are to win a championship, right? And in Bob's heyday was in the non-salary cap era. So, uh, you know, I think there's a listen. All respect to Bob. He's done great writing. Um, he definitely knows the game of basketball, and I'm not. 
you know, I'm not going to demean him. He who comes before me, there's going to be kids that are going to be like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, you know how to podcast in about 10 years, right? So it's all good. But it doesn't mean what he says is right. Right. Just because I respect what he's done doesn't mean what he says is right. And in this case, I think patience is is definitely called for. I mean, I think you got to let a guy go three to five years. At least let him hit 25. How many guys in this league come out and, and don't light it up immediately? But by the time they turn 25 or 26, I mean, look, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait the Gerald Green prerequisite amount of time just to get a good bench player, right? But this guy is borderline starter for this club. And if he's not a starter by 25, I'd be surprised. But you still got seven years of a guy who, if he proves himself to be deserving of team leadership and a starter on this club, and that'll be four years, you know, into his, you know, he'll be in his fourth year with the Celtics at that point. If he can lead this club and be the starter, you've got seven years of quite a tenacious baller to be able to move forward with never, never mind all the things that might happen between now and then. That's right. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's, it's way too early. And I, I just, I think it's irresponsible, uh, you know, to say stuff like that. I just, it what no matter who you are and where you come from, let's be real, you know, guys, 22 years old, he's obviously a raw player and you can see the ability for him to be so much more than that. And if you want to ignore that, fine, do that. But I'm looking at a guy who I think, I'm not saying he's the best player on on a championship team. I don't think he is. I don't think he has that ceiling. But I definitely think he is a number two guy or a number three guy on that team. And so do you throw those guys away or do you, you trade for him and sign him in free agency and then roll it out there. If he's your third best player after the All-Star break, after an All-Star and, I think, in Crowder, a near All-Star, what, what more do you need? You know? Yeah. What more? Well, lucky for LeBron James, we're out of time on the show <laughs> because we could have picked on him a ton. But I'll throw one other little bit of gas on that flame that you're stoking, which is to say that you make a great point about this offseason, or last offseason, and I think what he did in the snowouts in Philadelphia and how all of a sudden, with some practice time, to get things and his mechanics together. Remember how he shot the three yep. ball Bingo. after the snowout. Now, consistency still a concern? Absolutely. But how much better, and, and I want you to remember this as a little bit of a, a stake in our timeline, the same way you remember my stance on Avi Bradley, because I was impressed. When you started going down that road, I was about to jump in with it. I told you so, and you just gave it to me anyway. But <laughs> I'm, but I'm going to take your your comments, and this will be our own stake in the timeline. This will be a team stake and to say that with an offseason, if he's healthy and he puts up those shots, how much more consistent is he going to be shooting the three ball next year? And how much more impressed are, are, are the, is the fan base going to be? And I think at the very least, he deserves one more season with this club to, uh, to, for us to see him develop some consistency that way, no doubt. So, Bob, just sit tight. You know, you might still be <laughs> right. 
but just sit tight for a little bit. It'll be fun for us to to look back and and pick on each other, you know, when when somebody gets to turn out to be right. So, uh, you know, we'll give it a couple of years, John, I think, before you and I are are going to admit any any loss in in our opinion to Bob Ryan right now. But time will tell, as it always does. And and time is up for us. But a great show. Jimmy Toscano joining us from Comcast Sportsnet, New England. And you can always hear uh, see him at least a couple times a week or at least a game a week. He appears with Jared Weiss on Celtics beat. Uh, I mean, on <laughs> on the Garden Report. And then, obviously, if I'm going to say Celtics beat, I'm going to put a shout-out to Larry H. Russell, who just never stops giving us constant attention on his show and, and helping us come back and, and really build our, our listenership for Celtics Stuff Live. So, uh, again, thank you, Larry H. Russell. You have to check out his show. It came out yesterday. We're airing on Monday. He airs every Sunday. Kevin Pelton. Great interview with Kevin Pelton on Celtics Beat, so make sure you check that out. And everybody, on behalf of CLNS Radio and Celtics Stuff Live, thanks for listening this week, and we'll catch you again next week. Happy Easter, John. You too. Happy Easter. Celtics Stuff Live.